Welcome to the Creative Empire Podcast. Each week, Raina Pomeroy, the life and biz success coach, and Christina Scalera, the attorney for creatives, are taking you up close and personal with successful influencers in the creative community and tackling your biggest business hurdles. Their mission is to help you, creative entrepreneurs, think beyond your daily biz so you can make the brave decisions that build your creative empire. Welcome back for another episode of the Creative Empire podcast. Raina and I are joined today by Becca Cordes, and she is a modern calligrapher, doer, and teacher based out of Ottawa, Canada, but has been traveling quite a bit. She focuses largely on teaching calligraphy, both in person and online, and she's created a huge community of aspiring calligraphers around a free online calligraphy course slash challenge called Show Me Your Drills. Students in that course slash challenge can learn the basics of calligraphy in a simple step-by-step process from the ground up. So if you are thinking of picking up calligraphy in a simple, fun, and stress-free way, then Becca is your gal. She aims to help you do just that. But you should beware. She might have some dad jokes for you. And if terrible puns aren't your jam, then you might want to find a different place to learn. Welcome, Becca. We're so excited to talk to you today. (laughs) Thanks. Now I guess I have a lot of pressure to make some jokes in this, in this interview. <laughs> Just be you. Just be you. <laughs> I would love to hear some dad jokes. I'm, I'm a dad joker myself. But yeah, so tell us a little bit about you and maybe give us some behind the scenes stuff that we haven't seen on your Instagram, online lately, because you're traveling a lot. You've built this amazing community, but it didn't all happen overnight. So walk us through in a 30 second flyby how that happened. Yeah, so I didn't do calligraphy as a full-time job until about a year ago. It's actually almost just about exactly a year that I quit my full-time job to do it. And I never expected that to be my life path, but I'm super excited about it. So I studied interior design in school and I was doing that as a career. I was a project manager for construction. So very different than calligraphy. That's what I was doing and I sort of needed a creative outlet. So I started calligraphy and I got completely obsessed with it. And then shortly after that, I started an Instagram account, just started posting my work and it completely blew up. I think people are really into watching pretty handwriting videos these days. So it just went crazy. And after that, I started teaching it in person. Then people started asking me to teach it online and it all kind of snowballed from there. So now I am doing it full time and I have some online programs to learn calligraphy from the ground up, like you said, Christina. This year, I decided to take it on world tour. So right now I am in the middle of a six month trip and I'm traveling around the world meeting all of my online students, but meeting them in person and visiting them in their city. So it's been really amazing. Yeah, that, that's really a testament to the community that you have built, that you can travel around the world and that there's enough people to meet you there in each of these destinations. That's fantastic. So what are you doing with people in these different destinations? What prompted the world tour instead of just doing a, like a mega online class that could reach everybody all at once? I mean, to be honest, it was when I started teaching online and realizing that I had all these people around the world, it was kind of the first time that I thought about the ability to travel. It was never really like something on my list to go travel long term. But when I realized that I had all these people that I could only know so much online and I would never get to meet in real life, that it just kind of spurred me to go and meet them for real. So basically, um, whenever I'm deciding on a new city, like we're kind of planning it as we go. 
but whenever we decide on a new city, I have a list of people all around the world that I can contact and say, I'm going to be here between this date and this date. I'd love to meet you. And so we organize a meetup and just get together, have some coffee, some drinks, whatever, and play with pens and just have a good time. <laughs> it's been really, really cool. Okay. I have one quick question though. So you're getting together with them. You're currently in South Africa. So truly a world tour. And when you're getting together, how is that affecting, if at all, the community that you've built? Like, is it just stronger bonds? Do you find, you know, that your platform is growing? Like, what kind of things are you noticing as a happy side effect or maybe consequence of you getting out there and actually getting face-to-face with the people that are following you and love your work and taking your classes online, that kind of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing for me to be able to meet them, but the coolest part for me so far has been getting all of the people in the same city into a room together who don't know each other, but now they have a community, you know, that they can actually meet with in real life. And I know a lot of them have actually met up since we've had our meetup in their city. So now they've created their own little communities, which is amazing. Like it's one thing to create a community of people who are following me and like engaging with me, but it's totally different to put people together into their own communities. So that's been an amazing side effect, like you said. So something that keeps coming up in just the the short period of time that we've been talking is that community is at the center of, you know, pretty much every sentence (laughs) since we started. How did community become such an important part of your business? And like, how did you even develop your community? So what happened when I started teaching online was, I I mean, I didn't even intend to create a community, to be honest. I decided that I wanted to teach people calligraphy, like the very, very basic steps of calligraphy. Because like I said, I noticed it becoming this huge thing on social media and everybody and their mother was doing calligraphy. But I found that a lot of people actually never learned it properly. They were just buying a brush pen and claiming that they could do calligraphy and not understanding that there were actually processes behind learning it. So I started a free challenge called Show Me Your Drills, and that was really all I intended to do in the beginning. I just wanted to teach people that there were basics that they were missing. So I started that online. It was like a challenge. So it was a 30-day challenge. Anybody who signed up, I would send them some worksheets, and we would work through them together like really, really basic stuff. I never, I never understood the technology side of anything. I was so basic and I just wanted to help people understand. And it was during that challenge that I decided uh, it'd be great if we had a Facebook group so we could all discuss what we were working on. And I remember debating it, like, should I do a Facebook group or should I just keep it as the, you know, the online um, learning from my website thing. And I am so happy now that I created the Facebook group because as soon as I connected people to each other, that's when things really started to take off. So they were sharing their work with each other. They were egging each other on, you know, and when you're doing something like that, a challenge for 30 days and you're maybe thinking of giving up or you're not doing very well and you're connecting with people who might be having the same struggles, it's like, it just grew exponentially after that. And people like the word of mouth went crazy and yeah, so it's just grown from there. When was that first challenge that you did? I mean, you can go back for quite a while. Um, In January 2016, I did a really, really preliminary version of it. So I think at that time I had maybe a thousand followers or something. And I posted just like one picture prompt on my Instagram and said, whoever wants to do this with me this month, I'll do one drill and you follow me and you do it on your own. That one wasn't huge and it was all on Instagram. None of it was 
like through a mailing list or anything like that. And then the next year, one of my resolutions for New Year's was to restart the Show Me Your Drills Challenge and do it properly. So it was January 2016 that I did the mailing list version of it and things really started. Well, that's important for two key reasons. One is you're talking about the community building aspect, but you mentioned very briefly that it really took off when you started emailing people about it which is not where I thought this conversation would go, but it's a testament to the power of an email list. And it's interesting because like you had no idea how this was going to turn out. You were just had a passion. You knew that connecting at this point, when you started those emails, it sounds like you knew that connecting people to each other and then to like a transformational result, right? Like their calligraphy was getting better. All these things combined with the newsletter list change things for you. So do you still find that you're, you're leaning more on your newsletter or is it your Facebook group that's really driving the train or like, how do you use these two things to both the Facebook group and the newsletter? How do you use them as tools to continue to build this community? Yeah. So it is interesting that you bring that up because the first time I did the challenge, it was all on Instagram and uh, we all know the Instagram algorithm changes every five minutes. So I could not do that anymore. So it is hugely important for me to have that email list. Um, if I had been trying to do that challenge now, a fraction of the same people would have seen it show up in their Instagram feed. So the email list is huge. And to answer your question, the combination of the email list and the Facebook group really work well together. So although my email list is really, really important, I still have issues, which I know a lot of other entrepreneurs do with deliverability of my email. So sometimes they'll land in people's junk mail or people will have really big filters on their, in their emails that my stuff just doesn't get through. So having the people in both the email list and on my Facebook group, now I can go into my Facebook group and say, Hey guys, here's what's up today. You should have an email about this. And I'll get lots of people saying, Oh, I didn't even see it come through or they'll have to go and check for it. So they work really well together. And then pretty much every time I send out an email and I link to the Facebook group, I get hundreds more people joining the Facebook group. So that's, it's really an awesome combination of the two. This is amazing. Like, it's so funny because it's like, this is what, even myself, I have never done something like this. It's always been a dream of mine to do it. So it's just really great to see someone that is out there and doing it and doing it well. And then not just getting everybody to your group or on your list or whatever, but serving your community so well that you're going out there and meeting them face to face. That's incredible. And it's definitely not to be taken for granted, you know, on either your side, our side, their side, when they're meeting you. I think it's just, it's this amazing gift that we all have right now is it's, it's at our fingertips. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have newsletter lists. We just have a way to connect with people that like 20 years ago would never have been a possibility, even if you could figure out the technology. So it's just a recurring theme that's coming up where everybody's like, oh, it's saturated. Oh, Becca's already doing this. I can't do it too. You know, oh, she already has her community. I can't build one. Oh, she's already really good at calligraphy. So no one needs more calligraphers. And here you are not only bucking that trend, right? Like you're new to the calligraphy scene. You're not Laura Hooper who's been in it for 12 years and that kind of thing. So like, this is really fun to watch, but then it's also really fun to see you supporting so many new calligraphers along the way. What are some of the things that you see people getting hung up on that you just like, you wish you could just 
tell them to their face, or maybe you do tell them to their face, but like, what are some of the things that you just wish that you could say in like blunt or plain English that, you know, maybe you have to sugarcoat sometimes or, you know, they're not ready to hear yet. Like if you could talk to those people that are struggling, what are some of the the top struggles that you're seeing and, and how would you help them? So you're talking struggles in terms of like, running a business and doing mailing lists and Facebook groups and stuff like that. Uh, You're not talking the about the struggles in the calligraphy. No, okay. the, cal- the calligraphers in your group, you know, like where they're running into problems. I mean, it could be like their calligraphy, but I'm guessing that it's probably not how to flourish better. And it's probably like, I don't know how to make this into a thing that makes money, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. So it's a combination of both. I have a lot of people who join solely to learn calligraphy just as a hobby and to have fun with it. But the people who are in my group and who have now gone through all of my program and are trying to make money off of it, they're struggling with growing an audience, having people like getting eyeballs on their work. Basically they struggle with how to decide whether to make a website or to focus on their Instagram more or where people are going to find them and that kind of thing. And then the biggest thing that I see with them is struggling with pricing their work. And actually, that's funny that we're getting into this topic, Christina, because I started, uh, I wrote an ebook with uh, the lady who taught me calligraphy, actually, Joanne Lozon. Her and I did, you know, we wrote a whole book on pricing for calligraphy and lettering specifically. And that got really big because I don't think anybody really talks about that. And in there, we actually link to your contract. (laughs) So yeah, the, the pricing thing is huge. I think a lot of, a lot of the people in my group that are getting to that point now, that's one of the biggest roadblocks is feeling confident in, in charging. I mean, calligraphy is a, is a luxury product. Not everybody can afford it. And so even people who couldn't afford it themselves have trouble charging for it and then charging what they're worth. So that's kind of one of the things I'm working on right now is getting that pricing guide in front of people. Yeah. What do you think makes pricing such a struggle? This is definitely a hot topic. I think that it's a combination of seeing what other people are charging. So seeing what your competition is charging and feeling like you can't charge as much as them because you're not as good as them, or you shouldn't be charging as much because you haven't been doing it as long. There's a lot of mental roadblocks in it. And then there's also feeling pressure to have your work be perfect before you even think about charging anybody money for it, which is, you know, something I'm always trying to discourage people from thinking. Um, I think as soon as anybody's willing to pay for your work, you should be charging for it. So yeah, it's a lot of little mindset issues like that. One of the things that I see too in any industry, but I feel like it could be prevalent in the calligraphy industry is that it can, the pricing can range from like, you can find it on Fiverr for $3 and all the way up to thousands and thousands of dollars where you're getting commission work for magazines or whatever. And I feel like I would be curious to hear your thoughts on you know, somebody undercharging, undercutting, and negatively impacting a bigger industry as they're getting started. What are your opinions on that? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because we have like a really long section in our ebook on that. And it comes back to the community over competition thing. So if anybody's listening and doesn't know what I'm talking about, if you ever follow the Rising Tide Society, and I'm sure you guys know the Rising Tide Society, they talk about community over competition. And that's huge for artists these days. And I don't think a lot of people even know the basic 
premise behind it. But for us, it's really awesome when you get a group of people who are thinking that way together. So for example, in Ottawa, there's a group of girls and we all do calligraphy and lettering. And so we all have, you know, Ottawa is the capital of Canada, but it's not huge. Um, we all have a lot of the same clients coming to us for quotes on things. And we are, you know, we're in a Facebook group together and we're in touch with each other. So rather than one person charging really low, um, knowing that she'll get the job versus, you know, discussing with the rest of the group and we all price on par with each other, that customer is not shopping for price anymore. They're shopping for the quality of the work they're looking for. So it's a hard topic to explain to people because it's kind of backwards from what things have been taught in the past in terms of business the lowest price gets the job and that kind of thing and it's it's different in the art scene and I think that it's time people start to realize that for sure some people have I've seen this a lot with like I don't know if you want to call it fine art but definitely like acrylic and mixed media artists and oil painters not I haven't seen it as much with watercolors and calligraphers so maybe that's just me not paying enough attention but for example, someone like Britt Bass, I've brought her up as an example before, or who's the girl in South Carolina and she does the beautiful paintings of Charleston. Ah, I can't remember her name, but she sells out like every single time. And there's another girl that does oysters. I'm sorry, everybody out there. <laughs> I just can't remember who these people are. We'll link to them in the show notes if, if I can find them afterwards. But it's interesting because they have all started to adopt a similar sales model which doesn't necessarily work for custom calligraphy, but it could work for custom designs or artwork or something. They will release collections, almost like a fashion designer, like four to six times a year, and they all sell out like immediately. And it's really phenomenal to watch because I, I watch them every single time and they keep upping their prices. So they started out, you know, in the low hundreds and now like every time they, ha they have something, most of their work is in the thousands of dollars which is really, really cool to see. So I, I would be interested to know if you've seen anybody using this model with like prints or like more artistic calligraphy works or, you know, just somebody that's moving away from even the custom stationary model where they're serving client after client and moving into a more like fine art or even like digital prints model. Have you seen anybody exercising alternative pricing strategies by basically selling products instead of trying to price themselves against service-based calligraphers? To be honest, most of the people that I'm dealing with, like the people that I'm teaching or the people in my industry who are selling their work, they're mostly custom products. I know that a lot of people right off the bat will try to, like the first thing they want to do is jump on Etsy. But like you said, it's really, really competitive and people completely undercharge their work on there. And it comes back to what Reina was asking about undercharging your work. I mean. I see people on Etsy charging $5 for a custom print and like actually creating that custom and then shipping it out. And just, just because other prints on Etsy are $5, but they're not taking into consideration that those are duplicates of something. It's not actually your custom work. So no, I actually would be interested to know who you're referring to because I would like to see what their business model is, but I don't know how well it would apply to most of the people that I'm, uh, I'm talking to. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just so many opportunities for calligraphers that I just see everybody going into the same pockets, right? It's encouraging that we have so many new calligraphers. I love seeing everybody's new work. But at the same time, I feel like everybody is like 
drafting towards what other calligraphers are doing instead of looking at outside industries. So it's fantastic that you're really being innovative here, creating this community, giving them new challenges, literally <laughs> new challenges, and just kind of encouraging them to think outside of the box and then supporting the people that want to carry that learning on with more research with the kinds of courses and basically products that you're selling to them that they can use at, at their leisure. So shifting a little bit to back to the community focus, what is like, would you encourage a new calligrapher to create a community for their clients or for other calligraphers or like how could somebody, what's the most practical way that you see building community taking shape for other calligraphers? Since I started doing this, I've seen multiple people starting a Facebook group around a certain topic or a challenge and stuff like that. And I don't want to say that you should build a community with the sole purpose of being able to help grow your own business with it. Like I think I built my community kind of by accident and I didn't mean to start it to make myself money and to be able to quit my job. You know, I, I started it a because I wanted to be in a community like that and be able to do you know, challenges like that with other like-minded people, but B, just because I, I saw something that I think wasn't being talked about. So I think if you can find something that other people aren't tapping into, like it's really hard with social media and you're constantly seeing what other people are doing. You feel like you can't be original, but there's always something that, you know, a different angle you can take on it or something that, you know, people aren't focusing on. And I think that that's really important. Like for me, like you said, Christina, there are so many people who are doing and teaching calligraphy now and it's all over. But when I saw that happening, I noticed that a lot of them were skipping the very basic foundations and that's what I tapped into. So if you like see just, you know, someone's not focusing enough on one aspect of whatever it is you want to teach, like hone in on that and just use that and blow it up and, you know, focus on it. What's been your favorite thing to teach to them? Yeah. So there's this moment where I mean, I know, Christina, you have some calligraphy background, but I think a lot of people who are listening wouldn't know what I'm talking about, so I'll go into a little bit of background here. In calligraphy, there are basic strokes that build up your letters. So my drills are, you know, a drill is like practicing those basic strokes over and over and over again. So that's what I started with. And the whole show me your drills challenge, we don't do letters at all. We just do those basic strokes over and over and over again. And when people start it with me, they think that these are just like exercises that they have to practice before they do their alphabet. But there's this moment where we finish the drills and they've practiced them and they are really good at them. And then we all of a sudden flip the switch and now you're putting those drills together into letters and it's when you put three of those drills together into a letter and people are like oh my god I totally get it and this is the part that most people are skipping when they're teaching calligraphy so it's like that's always my favorite moment and it's not only in the online calligraphy whenever I teach in class like in person classes that moment it's like I can see the light bulb just like turn on above someone's head and it's just the best and that's you know it was in those in-person workshops that I realized. I saw that light bulb go on for people and I was like, oh, okay, no one else is touching on this. You know, I need to make a bigger deal of this and show more people that light bulb, even if I have to figure out how to do it online and not in person. So yeah, that's definitely my favorite moment. So this is a recurring theme as well. Everybody wants to move online. They want to move digital. And I'm, I'm super guilty of this. I'm like, well, Instagram, I can reach hundreds of people. Speaking, I can reach 70. So I have a lot of, I guess, resistance, you would say, to 
doing things in person, but as you're talking, you're making me really reevaluate because this is the second conversation, you don't know this, but this is the second conversation we've had today with somebody who has talked about the value of watching people in person and watching how they're reacting to what you're telling them or what you're selling them and just kind of looking at how they're responding to whatever it is that, that you guys are putting out there for them, whether that's, we just talked to Megan Alman, And so she was talking about people in her booths, looking at her jewelry and making comments about it. And then she was able to rearrange booths and sell more product based on the feedback that she was getting in real time. And it sounds like you're getting that too. And that's something that an online calligraphy program is not able to capture. Even if they did the best survey in the world, it still sounds like getting to meet these people in person, watching them have these light bulb moments, really seeing where they're digging in, where they're getting frustrated, where they're getting stuck. It's all these moments that they're not necessarily even recognizing themselves that they could even bring to a survey if you ask them through an online course. So this is just so fascinating because personally, I'm so fast to jump online and forget about the in-person stuff because one, I'm a millennial, and two, I'm introverted, and I'm like, oh, great, I can hide behind a screen, perfect. But this is really bringing a new perspective, and I hope that anybody out there listening is seeing that it's a multi-dimensional way that you've built your business. And the subtle thing that you didn't mention yet that I'm noticing is that it's also a diversification of your business, not just of your income, but also of your customer base. So we have these like super... Becca lovers, right? That are like coming to see you in South Africa and Singapore and those kinds of things. But then you also have like maybe your, your toe in the water, just dipping in type of followers that are just joining your Facebook group, seeing what you're all about. And then you're building up during this value ladder and value ladders aren't something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but I don't know if you know this, but you've created your own value ladder. You probably do. So this is just so interesting on so many aspects because I, I love that it was kind of accidental, but I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because you're obviously a really great community builder. And more importantly than anything, you're seeing where people are getting stuck. You're seeing the gaps and you're bridging those gaps for the people that need it the most. Even in a super saturated industry, I think that's where you've been able to make an impact. And that's why you have 115,000 followers <laughs> on Instagram. What are some of the things that you're looking forward to? Like what's most lighting you up about meeting everybody? Do you think this tour will continue beyond the six months or what's on your horizon? Well, I just, first of all, before I answer that question, I want to go back to what you said about, you know, seeing people in person and the difference that you can get from those experiences versus asking people questions in a survey. Like you said, you see when someone does something live and you're watching them, they might not even recognize that they just gave you like this answer in your head of something you need to teach online. And it's really like, it's just, it's so different seeing them do it in line in person versus online. And it gives you so much more insight into that. So to anybody who is, worried about doing in-person events it's like going to totally change how you function in your online world and not only like not only how i structure my programs but the things that people are doing in the workshop i can then take and put that into my email marketing too like we didn't touch on this but i've gotten really obsessed with email marketing and figuring out how to tap into those things and a lot of people will tell you to you know run a survey and then take what people say in a survey and use that wording back at them in the rest of your copy. But it's not just what people say, it's what people do. And you don't get that part unless you see it 
in person. So I've been able to, like, for example, on day three of my challenge, we'll be working through ovals or whatever. And I know that people struggle with ovals because I've seen it in real life. So I can say in my copy, oh, right about now, you're probably feeling so-and-so, or you're probably struggling with this. And those aren't things that I would ever get out of somebody from a survey. So I think you definitely touched on something important there, like the in-person is totally invaluable. And then you asked me what I'm excited about. That was the question, right? <laughs> yeah. How is this community gonna, going to continue to build and like, will this tour continue? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want it to end. I don't think anybody ever wants their long-term travel to end. Um, and we actually don't have a home right now back in Ottawa. We put everything into storage to go on this trip. So we're like hunting for a house while we're away. But I, I think that when I get home, I'm going to start looking into... A, doing a tour in my own country. I haven't even seen all of Canada. And then the States is so close. And I have so many students in both of those countries that I need to go and visit. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, just meeting people in, in real life and meeting the students, it's been crazy. It's been so fun. What kind of partnerships have you found along the way, if any? I mean, my the first thing that comes to mind is like, you're such a good, you're so good at Instagram, but it's not necessarily your, your like, MO on Instagram to have lots of pictures. It's more videos and pictures of your work and the challenges that you're doing. But like, have you formed any partnerships with any like local vendors in these cities or is it just focused on the calligraphers in your community? So are you taking photos or doing photo shoots in every city just to like, I don't know, personally, I would want to have Instagram pictures for for months from these cities that you're visiting because they're so beautiful. So is there anything like that that you're doing while you're there to make the most out of your time and connect with like other people in the industry? To be honest, I kind of, the because it was so last second that we planned this trip and just up and packed our stuff, um, I wish I would have had more time to plan stuff like that. And I, you know, before we left, I was like, oh yeah, when we get to that city, I'll be able to do this, 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 and this, and I'll connect with all these people. And then once you're actually traveling and realize like how little time you have in each city, it's really hard to do stuff like that. But I actually, before my tour, the only partnership that I really set up was with Tombow. So of course, Christina, you know who Tombow is, and I think anybody who knows what a brush pen is knows what Tombow is. So they're one of the biggest brush pen companies. And they were on board to help me spread the word about the world tour and sent me some pens to give away and stuff like that. So that's been awesome. And then just other art companies like that. So in Japan, I went to the Zebra factory. So Zebra is another really big pen company. They invited me to come and do a tour of their factory, which was amazing. When I was in Australia, I met with another calligrapher who does what I do. Her name's Emma, and her handle is Black Chalk Co. And she is a rep for a really big art company there. So I went on a tour of their factory, like Windsor and Newton Paints. And so we've been, I've been doing stuff like that, other artists and that kind of thing, but nothing really with other people in like different industries that I would back home, like photographers and stuff like that. I wish this, I would have. No, this collaboration is so much better. I didn't even think about it on that level. That's amazing. I mean, first of all, that's huge that you got to see behind the scenes and really like get in there and forge these partnerships with with the tools that everybody's using and so familiar with, but not familiar with on that level. That is so smart. So how did those partnerships come about? Like, did you ask or did you just kind of put feelers out there? Did you have a contact at these places? So yeah, before my tour, I'm a Tombow ambassador. So I was already on their, their list of ambassadors. And I just reached out and I said, listen, I'm doing this once in a lifetime thing. I don't think many of your ambassadors are ever going to offer to 
take you on world tour with them kind of thing. So they were definitely on board for that. And then the Zebra one, I had been in touch with the rep in Canada, just about trying out some of their products and stuff in Canada. And when I realized I was going to Japan and I knew they had an office there, I just reached out and said, I'll be here. Like, I don't know if you have people who I can meet with and that kind of thing. And I ended up going on the most amazing tour and learning everything there is to know about how to put pens together. It was like an episode of How It's Made. Have you ever seen that show? It was like that. (laughs) It was like that, honestly, that we just walked through and saw exactly how it's made. (laughs) That's insane. And it's the power of asking. Most people are just scared to ask. It's so true. And I think it's really, it's really interesting too. these brand partnerships can come by you just growing your audience organically. And now that you have a platform, you're able to leverage it for different and cool opportunities to continue to serve your community at the end of the day. I think Christina, like I wanted to mention too, when you were asking about, you know, different brands and sponsorships, like about travel and that kind of thing. I mean, I thought when I started talking about this world tour and I had people discussing it with me and a lot of people with a business minded background would, would go, um, you know, like you should talk to the Hilton and try and get free hotel rooms and stuff like that. But to me, like the stuff that I take on for sponsorships or for like deals like that, I always want them to work for my community. Like, I mean, as nice as it is to get a free hotel room or like get an upgrade on your airline and stuff like that, those aren't things that directly impact my followers. So I didn't actively seek those things out. It was more the pen, pen sponsorships and stuff like that and things that would actually directly um, involve my community. So I think that's one important thing to note. I see so many emails come into my inbox every day of companies that have nothing to do with calligraphy. And it's, it's hard to turn them down because some of them are really awesome offers, but it's also really important to keep those things in the back of your mind. Yeah, I think that could be really, really valuable to just think about. I was it a couple of weeks ago, there was like a backlash from a hotel about bloggers constantly asking for hotel rooms and, you know, I didn't follow the entire chain, but I think it's a really interesting thing that what you're saying is what you value is your community and you're going to be asking for the partnerships that really make sense to be able to give back and serve your community as they are and what they're interested in. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a, I haven't figured out a way to gracefully navigate this. So if either of you or any of you listeners out there do let me know, but yeah, I, I completely agree. And I want to let people know that when I give them affiliate links, it's like actually products and services that I use and like that I really believe in and that I'm not just doing it for the money. But then I also want to get paid because it takes a lot of time and effort to create the resources and the emails and the blog posts that I do create. So I have this like weird balance where I'm like, oh, I want to get paid, but am I going to look like a sellout for linking to Russell Brunson's book? Because I actually do use ClickFunnels and I love all of his teachings. I didn't used to. That's a different story. But I just like, I don't know. It's a very hard line to finesse. And I know for some of you listeners out there, you're like, I'm not at that level yet. Shut up, Christina. But for some of you out there, you are, and you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you guys have either of you, Raina or Becca, if you have any kind of advice or you listeners out there have advice, I would love to hear it because... I really want to support and promote the products that I believe in, but I also don't want it to look like I'm just selling out and trying to do it for the money. So it's like this, ah, do you guys like, am I just, no, I think it's actually, there's like a perfect, I have a perfect example right now too. I think what you have to do is like ask yourself if you would still promote it, if you weren't getting paid for it, 
And the perfect, perfect example for this is uh, in that pricing guide that I wrote, Christina, I wasn't an affiliate for you when I wrote the book and I still put your contract shop in there. And it wasn't until after the book had gone out and like, I I wasn't going to make any money off of it that I got reached out to by your team saying like, we would love to actually give you an affiliate link for this. So like I was going to link to that anyway. And now it's amazing that it's in there and it is an affiliate, but my followers know that like, that's something valuable. I'm not just trying to get money out of being an affiliate for you. And I think that goes for literally anything you ever link to. Like, would you still tell people to do this if you weren't an affiliate? Well, thank you, Becca. (laughs) That means a lot to me, but also from my perspective, like running an affiliate program too, the way I looked at it was like, I've talked about her before. We've had her on the show. I have one really good friend, Kirstie Marie. She's an equine photographer. And literally about every other day, she sends me a purchase and she's got a new baby. It is tough y'all to be a new mom. And she's a first time mom. And I'm like, Kirsty, I want to pay you. Like you're sending people my way. They're buying my products and you're not getting anything for it. And I know like integrity wise, it looks better that you're not getting paid. But at the same time, like if I could help you in your new momdom to take care of your baby by working less because you're getting paid more for like something you would have recommended anyway, like I want to do that. But yeah, this is like an ongoing challenge that I really want to support people that are willing to share our products out regardless of the affiliate commission. But like from my perspective, I also want to like, thank you guys for doing that because you're helping me. So I really appreciate that you you were going to us anyway, but yeah, it's, it's this not where I thought the conversation today would go, but it is definitely a, a balance, especially when you have that responsibility, like, do you ever feel any kind of fear or responsibility when you send out an email to that big list of yours? Or like when you post something to your Instagram, like, is there ever any moment where you're like, I'm a little scared to send this? Or is it just like normal by now? I definitely, when I first started my email list, I was like really careful about every single word I ever wrote. And, you know, I thought about it 50 times and I had 20 people read it before I sent it out and whatever. But as I've you know, gotten more used to having a mailing list. I just, now I talk in my email how I would to a friend and I, it's so much easier. It's so much less pressure on you if you're actually just doing that. And the feedback I've gotten from people about them actually liking reading my emails is like shocking to me. I never thought that that was a thing. I think everybody hates having so many emails, but the minute you're talking as if it's just you, then it's, it's fine. And actually back to the, the whole affiliate thing, on the flip side of that, like there are people who like, do you guys follow Nicole Walters? I don't know who she is. Raina's Raina nodding. shaking yeah. your head. Yes. I'm nodding Raina's my head and I can't get on a mute. Yeah, I love Nicole. Yeah, so I actually went to the Craft and Commerce oh, for conference last year. Yeah, for ConvertKit. Yeah. And she was one of the speakers. And I didn't know who she was before that conference. But her talk was like, it blew me away. And it was all about getting paid for everything you do. Like she made the example that she even has an Amazon store and people ask her all the time where she gets her wig. And I was just about to, to say, her. can I get Rebecca? Because I need her. On my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she links to that in her Amazon store. So like literally everything she does she will link to, but she's very, very transparent about it. Like if you follow her, you know that whatever she is promoting, she's getting money for. And I like that. Like she's very open about it. So if anybody's listening and wants to see that talk, it's on YouTube now. Like ConvertKit published that talk. So if you look that up, it's so good. And I think Christina, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It'll make you feel better about promoting stuff. 
yeah, no, she's I definitely great. will. We will link to this in the show notes as well. So if you guys look for Rebecca Cordis, her interview, if you search that in the search box on that right hand side of our website, creativeempire.co, you will be able to see everything that we're talking about here, especially if you're driving, don't pull that up now, go pull it up later and then go open all the tabs with everything Becca has given us today. So Becca, Looking back at where you started, what is like the one piece of advice that you would have given day one Becca to build her creative empire? It would just be to stop overthinking everything and just focus on building a community of people that are happy with, you know, each other and you. Like I remember at the beginning, I would get so overwhelmed about like, how do I set up a mailing list and how do I make a website and blah, blah, blah. And like, to be honest, my website has been crap until like yesterday I launched a brand new website. But for the past like year, yeah, for the past year, it's been like garbage. And you know, I haven't cared about it because I know people know to find me on Facebook or to join the group. And you know, I, I focus more on those community aspects than I do on the technical stuff. And it just, the rest will fall into place and people will resonate more if you actually care more about what you're doing than making it look good and having the right technology in place. Yeah. So where can people find the challenges, the content, all the teaching that you do and connect with your community? So my Instagram handle, that's where I am most of the time is the happy ever crafter. A lot of people will put in the happily ever crafter. That's not me. So the happy ever crafter. And then my website is the happy If you want to join the free challenge, it's show me your drills.com. And my Facebook group is called the happy ever crafters with an S on it. I have to ask a really serious question. Landis. Is show me your drills. Is that with a Z? No. <laughs> Cause no, that would be, be awesome. It should be a money sign instead of a Z. Show me your drills. <laughs> I have made uh, grills, like dad jokes in my groups and in my yes. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it so much. You guys yeah. all have to go check out Becca's new website. I just pulled it up. It's beautiful. It's unique. It doesn't look uh, like everybody else's, which is amazing. And make sure that you go check out everything she's mentioned in the show notes at creativeempire.co. For those of you looking to build a community and a creative empire, go out there today and do it. Are you ready to build your own empire? For more information, show notes, downloads, and tips on how to do it, head to www.creativeempire.co, where you can find out more about this week's episode and the two lovely ladies behind it all, encouraging you to build your own creative empire. If you enjoyed this week's show, it would mean so much to Raina and Christina if you could take two minutes to go to iTunes and leave a review. It's a little thing that makes a big difference for the show. 